Well, those of us who remain will try to hold down the fort while everybody else is at barbecues and grandma's house or wherever they happen to be this weekend. I'm glad you're here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And that's the subject for today, peace. Peace is a very deep subject. It's a broad subject. And biblical peace is, is tough to put your hands around. You know, all of our stories are... Uh, wrapped up in our own definitions of things. Any of the words that we've been using, uh, when we hear the word like love or joy, we always think of the way we look at it, the way we define those things. Peace is no exception. For me, when I think of peace, I immediately go to my younger years of the late 60s and early 70s. All we are saying is give peace a chance, you know? Look how that worked out. We have no more peace today than we did when we first our hair and tie-dyed our t-shirts. In fact, sometimes I think we have less peace in our world today. So we always approach every subject with our own kind of preconceived ideas of what peace is. Sometimes we use synonyms like calm and quiet, stillness, harmony, order to describe it. Sometimes we use opposites of peace to help us understand like war, chaos, conflict, hostility, disorder. And the biblical view is big, all-encompassing. It's hard to describe, much like when you try to describe your visit to the Grand Canyon. Every word you use doesn't quite paint the right picture, and you almost have to be there. And then you say, oh, I get it. Or in a more negative way, to describe the destruction of the tornadoes that have occurred here in the Midwest, in the South. You can hear all the words and see all the one-dimensional pictures, but when you actually experience the devastation, you understand what that word really means. Peace is a little bit like that. Peace is hard to describe, but once you experience it, you understand what it is. A couple definitions of peace. Peace means to bind, to join, to weave together. It means a person is bound, woven, and joined together with self, God, and others. It means freedom from trouble and much more. It means experiencing the highest good, enjoying the very best, and possessing inner good. It means wholeness and soundness. It means prosperity in the widest sense. When Jesus thought of peace, he thought of the word shalom. For the first century Jew, shalom meant these things, material prosperity, a loving relationship with God, others, and the nation, and moral goodness and integrity. So peace isn't just the absence of war, nor is it simply just inner tranquility. It's all of these things woven together to, to bring God's shalom or God's peace. There are a couple of verses in the New Testament in John that I think help give me perspective on this whole peace idea, especially the peace that Jesus teaches. That's in John 14 and John 16. Let me read them for you. John 14, 27, and then John 16, 33. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As I was studying those earlier this week with my yellow pad, I just made a few notes about what I was hearing and seeing from those few words of Jesus. First of all, I see that 
the peace that Jesus offers is not like our contemporary view or description of peace. I notice there that if you are troubled and afraid, you do not have God's peace yet. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled or afraid. If you are troubled and if you are afraid, you are not experiencing God's peace. How is this peace possible? Jesus brings this peace. He says, my peace I leave with you. This peace of his is a gift. This peace I give you. Following another way always leads to trouble. What does he say? In this world, what? You will have trouble. That's why every peace movement eventually doesn't succeed. Because it's a different kind of peace than the kind of peace that Jesus offers. And he says, take courage or take heart. I have overcome the world. There is a way out. The way out is with you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You have a choice. You can decide to be troubled and worried, or you can decide to let God's peace be a part of your life. But it's your choice. He says, I have overcome Nike, Nike, popular brand today. I'm an overcomer. If you can experience and choose to experience God's peace, you will be able to overcome whatever happens. Peace is not just inward. It's also the ability to respond to the outward world without turning bitter, without turning angry, without turning selfish, and responding the way God would have you respond. Well, I like to draw pictures, you know, and so I have a picture for you. The guys, uh, Tim and Jeff, made a picture for me. And there it is, up on the screen, to kind of give us a, a 50,000 feet view of the, the shalom of peace in the Bible. First of all, there's peace with God. That's where it starts. If you don't have peace with God, the rest of this isn't possible. It is not possible. A, a young girl was asked to, just, to recite the fruit of the Spirit, and she said it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and remote control. The most coveted object in everyone's living room. Whoever has the remote has the control. But Jesus indicates to us that in order to have a peaceful life, we have to give the remote away. The remote goes to the one who made us, who cares for us and loves us more than anyone else. We then give this to him and we begin to experience peace with God. We also not only acknowledge that peace, but we, we have peace within ourselves. We accept that God has offered us this peace and we accept it. Despite who we are, despite what we've done and where we've been, God accepts us as we are and offers his peace to us. And because he's offered his peace to us, then he expects us to extend this same peace to other people. I, th I was thinking of some verses that would kind of go around this circle. And on the right side, between peace with God and peace with myself, is the familiar John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. You have a choice. He loved you so much and accepts you as you are that he, he wants to be a part of your life. And so when you accept him, when you acknowledge him, he begins to change you. He begins to change you from within. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You become a different person. 
Now, on the other side of the circle, which I won't talk a whole lot about today, between peace with God and peace with others, I think it's John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn or judge the world, but to save or rescue the world. It is not your business who God wants to save. It is not your business to decide who's God, who's God's friend. God extends this love and grace to everybody. Remember how the Pharisees got in trouble because they decided who was going to be God's friend and who wasn't? How they excluded people because of their nationality or excluded them because they didn't get everything right in the law? God wants to extend his grace to this world. And how does that happen? It happens through you. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers. As you extend God's peace to those who want and need his peace, you become his peacemaker, his ambassador to this world. And that's what gives your life meaning. Remember, Paul said, as much as possible, live at peace with everybody. Well, we'll come back to that diagram in a minute. But I want to concentrate a little bit today on that bottom section, living as a peacemaker. Because that's where the rubber meets the road for us. You know, we could say, you should love God, and you should love the people God loves, but how do I, in practicality, how do I obey Him in my everyday dealings with people when we get out of sorts, and there's strife and disorder, and, and you know, there are disagreements and conflicts and things? How do I relate as God's peacemaker in situations like that? Because every one of us has had them. And I know you have, because I've talked to people after every service who have experienced this very thing. So it's, it's not just common with me, it's common with everyone. Well, there's one proverb that I think you should all wake up and listen to. If there's nothing else you hear today, take this away. And here's the proverb. A person with good sense is patient, and it is to his credit that he overlooks an offense. Let's read that. A person with good sense is patient. And it is to his credit that he overlooks an offense. This is not rocket science. How do I live as a peacemaker in this world? Overlook stuff. There are people who make it their job to be offended about everything. Give that up. It is not necessary to be offended about everything. You do not know everything. Everything doesn't have to go your way. You are not always right. Overlook those situations where you get all bent out of shape because something didn't go your way. Use discretion, the psalmist says, the proverb, writer of Proverbs says, and overlook it. If at all possible, live at peace with everyone, which means overlook stuff. Your life would be so much more peaceful, and probably a lot of folks around you, if you were able to overlook things. I mean, don't you know those kinds of people? Here they come. You want to go hide. Because you know they never have anything, nothing is ever right. Now, it would never happen here. I know that. But at the church I once served, I would get bulletin tear-offs. Not here. It's not here. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. Music's too fast. Music's too slow. It's too hot. It's too cold. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> not everything has to go your way. Overlook an offense. Now, 
I understand that that's not always possible. But as much as you can, overlook. Uh, Dallas Willard says that one of the ways that he knows he's growing as a believer is that if he is more able to overlook offenses today than he was yesterday and the day before and the day before. Because see, overlooking offenses places not me at the center of my universe. It places God's agenda and God's way of dealing with things at the center of my life. And control is not always possible. It's elusive. Many of you know by now that you just think you have things under control, but you really don't. And if you give the remote to God, you can begin to live a life of peace and not have to make a big deal out of everything. Now, how do you know if you've overlooked an offense? How do you know? Here's some, here's some ways that you can know. I do not dwell on the incident anymore. I do not bring the incident up and use it against the other person. I don't keep lists. And every time something goes wrong, well, you remember back in 1974 and then in 1989, and you know people like that. Maybe you've been. If you're like that, you have not overlooked the offense. And the only person that's hurting is you. I do not talk to others about it. I do not allow this incident to hinder my relationship with the other person. I know I have overlooked the offense when I do not dwell on it, I don't bring it up, I don't talk to other people about it, and I don't allow it to affect the way I treat the other person. Okay, I can't do that. This offense is so grievous to me, I cannot overlook it. It's a hill I'm going to die on. What do I do then? What if I think I need to make a big deal out of it? Well, here's what I suggest. Number one, pray and pray and pray. Is this really such a big deal? Allow God to really speak to you and say, well, you know, just cut the person some slack. If you still believe that it's a big deal, let your emotion, make sure your emotions are cooled down. Because a lot of times, it's just the heat of the moment. And if you can, like my mother would say, bite your tongue and wait a little bit, it's not such a big deal. So always allow yourself time to cool off. Third, Jesus said in Matthew 7, get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of the other person's eye. What part have you played in this whole mess? Maybe it's just as much your fault as somebody else. Make sure the big deal is not with you. And then finally, I think the most important advice I could give you about this is consult, talk with a trusted spiritual friend and say to them, here's what's happened. Should I make a big deal out of this or should I just overlook it? And see what they have to say. Don't pick somebody who's going to agree with you. I am amazed at who we go to for advice. We go, you know, like, remember Dave Ramsey says, you go to your broke brother-in-law for, for advice on finances. That's the wrong person to go to. You go to the most dysfunctional person you know in the world for advice on relationships. Why is that right? But most of us do that. Somebody who doesn't have love, joy, and peace, we go to them and we expect them to give us good advice about how to solve a relationship problem. Not so. You look for a person who is displaying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, and ask them, if this were you, would you be making a big deal out of this? Or how would you deal with this? That's the best advice I could give you. Don't just jump into something with both feet and all your cannons blazing. That's not the way of peace. Now, if you need to have some sort of a meeting of the minds, then the, the, the last thing there in your bulletin, the peace plan, is what I suggest. I've uh, liberally borrowed this from Rick Warren out of Saddleback. I freely confess that, but I've changed it around enough that I call it research. So, 
P, make, uh, plan a peace conversation. Plan it. Uh, conflicts are rarely resolved by accident. They have to be intentional. And so you plan what you're going to do and what you're going to say. And here's the most important thing. This should be face-to-face. Let me get on my soapbox. Social networking is not the place to solve personal problems. Do not do that. Everybody can read it. It just makes you look small and petty. Don't solve problems through Facebook. Don't gossip on Facebook. Don't be so negative on Facebook. You're never going to make the peace if you do that. It's like people think you don't, other people don't read that. And I know something else. Some people forward it on. Don't do that. Don't tweet about everything that's going on that you don't like about somebody. It will come back to bite you. I promise. And it's not the way of peace. Don't send emails. Don't leave voicemails. This is a planned conversation where we sit down and talk face to face. That's the first one. Second, empathize with the other person. Your goal is not just to talk and to dump stuff on the other person. It's to understand the other person's point of view and their feelings. There is almost always an unspoken hurt behind your situation that the other person feels. And you may not understand it. John Maxwell says, hurting people hurt people. Do I need to say that again? Hurting people hurt people. Where is the hurt? Address the hurt, both in your life and the other person's life, and you'll be closer to resolution. A, attack the problem, not the person. If you go in on the offense, you will be received defensively. There will be walls put up, and you will never be able to get peace in your life with other people if you go in shouting, yelling, pointing, accusing. Paul says... Speak the truth in love with regard for that other person. C, cooperate as much as possible. Uh, This is just good negotiation. Look for areas of agreement. There surely are some things you can agree about. Look for those areas of agreement. This is not a contest. You don't have to win every point or win everything. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on on the Mount about going the extra mile? If somebody asks you to go one mile, do what? Go two. Always be willing to take the first step, to give in just a little bit. It may hurt your pride, but it may save a relationship. And speaking of that, E, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Reconcile the relationship first and resolution will follow. If you have not displayed the fruit of the Spirit in your conversations with folks, you cannot expect peace to be exhibited. If you have this conversation and say, there's this problem we need to talk about, and then you don't display love, joy, and peace, and you display anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and selfishness, nothing good can happen out of that. And so you always work to mend the relationship and then work on the resolution of the problem. There's a Peanuts cartoon with Lucy and Charlie Brown, and Lucy, of course, says, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole world. And Charlie Brown says, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy said, I do have inner peace, I just have outer obnoxiousness. (laughs) 
You will never have peace with others when you have outer obnoxiousness. You never will. And really, you won't have peace with God because you'll be so proud that you will not let him get part of your life and take your remote control. So work on your outer obnoxiousness. Now, I bet there's a person, a very loved person in your life who could probably help you with that. You know, there's your signal. You're being a little outwardly obnoxious today. You know, that might actually save a relationship. Well, what, what if it doesn't go well? I have known of cases where people have tried to be the peacemaker. They've done all these things. They've prayed and they've gone to the person with love and, and it just doesn't work. Well, know this. You have done what you've been asked to do. You have been obedient and followed the way of Jesus. Now, you are not responsible for the other person's response. You cannot make a person reconcile with you. You can do everything you can do, but there comes a point where you'll have to stop and say, well, then I have to give this back to God. I can pray about it. I can let time pass. And I can hope that we can actually be reconciled and we can come to a resolution. But I, before God, can say I've done all I can do. That's what you do. There is a a process in Matthew 18 for uh, perhaps a little more extended uh, mediation or arbitration. Sometimes that's necessary. Take others with you. Read that in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, where wise spiritual people will help you and the other person try to come to some sort of an agreement. But generally speaking, when you get to the point of all you can do, then you've done all you can do. You've planted the seeds, you've watered the seeds, and now if no one comes your way, you've gone 51%, and now you wait and see how God will work it out. Well, let's look at the diagram one more time really quickly. At the middle of that diagram is acknowledge, accept, and extend. And in the New Testament, especially in the letters of the New Testament, the word peace is paired with another word. Do you know what that word is? Grace. Paul says, grace and peace, grace and peace to you. Grace all over the place. He's always gracing and peacing everybody. John, grace and peace you. James, grace and peace. Peter, grace and peace. There must be a connection. There is a connection. When you acknowledge God's grace, accept God's grace, and extend God's grace, the result is peace. Peace is a result, not an action. The action is grace. Grace is giving something to someone they do not deserve. And God gives to you His forgiveness and His peace. Even when you are yet sinners, Christ died for you. He has extended that peace to you when you didn't deserve it. You accept that peace and that grace, and you pass it on to folks who even in their sin do not deserve it. But you don't have to make that choice. You just extend that peace. Well, I have a, a, a challenge point for you. A couple challenge points for you. Here is my challenge for the week for you. This week, overlook an offense. When somebody ruffles your feathers or upsets you and you feel the immediate need to get in there and correct something, don't. Overlook the offense. See what happens. Pray before your feet hit the floor. Pray something like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. 
That where there is hatred, I may bring love. And where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. And where there is discord, I may bring harmony. Where there is error, I may bring truth. And doubt, I may bring faith. And despair, I may bring hope. Where there are shadows, I can bring light. Where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is in forgetting self that one finds and in forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. God's plan for you is to be his peacemaker. The only way our world will know of peace is through you extending grace to others. Jesus lived that life. When everyone else saw a serial adulterer by the well, Jesus saw someone who was worth saving, who could deliver her city back to Jesus. When everyone else saw a greedy, selfish tax man, Jesus saw this little guy up at a tree who he wanted to have lunch with. When everyone else saw a murderer, a bigot, a religious persecutor of the church, Jesus saw the man who would write much of our New Testament, the Apostle Paul. When everyone else sees you, what do they see? When Jesus sees you, he sees someone worthy of his grace and his peace. But the choice is always yours. He will never force you to make the choice. He will always invite you to choose his peace as he offers his grace through Jesus Christ. And that is our invitation this morning. Stand and sing.